0: Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, LawPay.
1: Lawyers are known for both making a good amount of money and sometimes not being so smart about how they spend it. I'm Stephanie Francis-Warren, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Gary Duboff. He's a principal at the accounting advisory firm, MBAF and he is a CPA who specializes in working of high-net-worth individuals. Today, we're going to be talking about how lawyers can be smart with their money, which includes paying their taxes, keeping savings, and maybe even keeping track of everything they spend. Welcome to the show, Gary.
0: Hi, Stephanie. How are you today?
1: Doing great.
0: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So what would you say, what is the most common mistake you see lawyers make with personal finances? Well,
0: I guess that depends on at what stage of their career they're in. Obviously, if you're a, a young attorney and you're a salaried employee, um, hopefully you are budgeting and spending your money uh, before you earn it. On the other hand, if you're a, a practicing attorney who's been, you know, later stage of their career and they're a partner in a potentially in a, in a law practice, uh, there might be some cash flow issues in terms of how their partnership might be structured. So uh, they may not necessarily receive all of their money uh, on a more frequent basis than a paycheck. So they have to be more focused on, on uh, both taxes as well as, um, you know, the toys and, and things that they may have uh, as a um, mature adult.
1: Is there a rule of thumb do you think for attorneys um, in terms of how much they should save each month in a percentage or an amount
0: uh, I don't think there's a rule of thumb because I think each person really is going to be different in terms of what their um, you know what their lifestyle is and and what their spending habits are but I think it's safe to say that if um, if you're self-employed and you're um, you know, you have a tax burden that's probably greater than most individuals. That you really want to make sure that you set aside money for your taxes first. Mm. Um, you know, as well as as for savings. So it's really more of a question of looking at your cash flow needs and budgeting accordingly, and and making sure that you don't you're not in a position where you potentially may owe the government a large check at the end of each year.
1: Do you think that some people, they think, you know, my my financial situation is kind of hopeless. I have student loans. I have debt. You know, I make a decent living, but I'm working all the time, and this is just my situation. I mean, does that happen to people, and do you think, is it ever really hopeless? Are there always ways to improve what you spend and what you don't spend?
0: Well, I hope it's not always hopeless. I'm sure uh-huh. there's going to be some. Light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, obviously, if you're if you're in that situation, then uh, you know you you have to do some pretty um, quick planning in terms of making sure that you uh, you know account for those expenses. Obviously, bankruptcy would not be um, a, a preferable alternative if you're right. practicing law. So I think you know most people who were in that situation, again, need to go back and, and budget and make sure that they, you know, they don't spend beyond their means other than their necessary fixed expenses. So if they've got student debt or they've got mortgage debt or they have other um, things that, you know, they encountered prior to their professional career, I mean, they, they just need to be very cautious. Obviously, you know, if you're dealing with, the IRS, um, you know, there are payment plans and obviously uh, other uh, approaches that could be taken in order to uh, eliminate, uh, you know, certain debts that you may owe.
1: Is it common for attorneys to pay their quarterly tax estimates or maybe not as much as you'd think? I know everyone says that you should, but I don't know if everyone actually does it.
0: Well, the government is charging You know, at at today's rates, they're charging 5% on underpayments, and that's federal. States typically charge more than than that interest rate. So it's really just a question of, you know, are you better off giving the government your money to to hold on to it as opposed to you holding on to it and earning, you know, if it's sitting in cash, you're not Mm -hmm. going to be earning any interest on it, and nobody really wants to pay the government. Uh, more than they have to. So it's really a question of going through and analyzing your situation, and hiring a good tax advisor who can obviously help you in that regard.
1: So would you maybe, something to think about would be to set aside what your estimated uh, taxes would be per quarter, and instead of sending them to the IRS, putting them in an interest-bearing account, and then just paying them when the bill comes in April or whenever.
0: And not necessarily with today's interest rates, you know, hovering at about mm, 2% true. for U.S. treasuries or, or yeah. money markets. Um, you're you're not necessarily going to make more money than the government is charging. So, you know, again, it's it's a question of cash flow. It's a question of, of uh, liquidity. It's a question of, you know, whether or not... You want to owe the government at the end of the year uh, in one lump sum, or you want to pay them as you go.
1: What's your advice on finding a good tax attorney? What should you look for? Is it mostly a referral from someone you trust, or? You, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, a tax accountant. Hopefully, you won't need a tax attorney.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that's that's a, a you know a, a question that I'm asked often. You know, as to you know what are you looking for in an accountant? Um, You know, most of the time, I would say that accountants all have a certain degree of, you know, of qualifications that, in order to practice before the IRS, that, you know, we all, in essence, are a commodity. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to be able to work with someone who you feel comfortable with, Mm -hmm. who you have a a good relationship, Um, you talk the same language, Uh, They understand what your needs are, and and so there's. It's more of a, in my opinion, it's it's more of a, a, a relationship not necessarily a professional relationship, but, you know, you want to be able to, you know, to understand the person that you're working with, vice versa, as well, Mm -hmm. in, in terms of your professional that you're working with.
1: I think for some people, you know, for so many years, when you're young, you're used to getting some kind of refund, or, you know, not having to pay any tax, or if you do, it's just a little bit. And then it's like one year, you're like, oh, I owe $5,000 more than um, what, what I paid, or whatever. I've just pulled that number out. Is there an income point where you can expect to start paying taxes as opposed to getting something back?
0: Not necessarily, although there have been, you know, recently with the Tax Reform Act, a lot of, of uh, taxpayers were, were uh, unfortunately found out that they owed tax as a result of the, the changes in the government withholding tables. So those those types of situations are very difficult to control, but I think that if you're a salaried employee and you monitor your situation and you forecast what you think your tax might look like, again, with a professional's advice, and then determine how much withholding you presently have, you should be in a situation where you don't owe money, and nor do you have a big refund. Um, you know, it's the best approach is to be even at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas,
0: if you are not a salaried employee, or perhaps you are and you have other income like interest dividends, or you play the stock market and you have capital gains, then, you know, owing tax at the end of the year is a good problem to have because that just means mm-hmm. you made a lot of money. So, I find that most of the clients that I work with, you know, we do quarterly projections and year-end projections to make sure that there are no surprises at the end of the year mm-hmm. so that you know, they have paid in enough taxes to avoid interest charges from the government. And at the same time, they owe the least amount of money, or, or I should say, I take that back, they owe the most amount of money on April 15th without being subject to penalties.
1: I see. And for the most part for your clients, do you advise them, you know, don't take any deductions because that way you won't have – that will maybe cut back on surprises if you have no deductions on your taxes.
0: Well, I mean I I always am of of the opinion that you, you take what you're entitled to. And that would mean that if there are dedu- when you say deductions, you're referring to um, deductions on, on a W-4, your allowances. Is that what you're referring to, or you're talking about tax deductions?
1: Yeah, well, right. I mean, or like if say you claim your kids or something like that. Yeah.
0: So you know you can control the amount of withholding, you know, by the allowances. But unfortunately, there, you know, because the laws have changed in 2018 as a result of the Tax Reform Act. The allowances for dependents is really not a gauge of what your tax might look like because there are no personal deductions anymore mm-hmm. under the tax code. Uh, there's, only a, there's only a standard deduction under the tax code or an itemized deduction. What you're left with essentially is you know your income minus a limited amount of deductions, either your standard or itemized. The personal exemptions have been repealed. And so, you know, it's not as easy as it was before. I'll put it that way.
1: Are there some things specific to attorneys with the new tax laws that maybe a lot of attorneys don't realize? I feel like this past year, maybe some attorneys didn't have to pay as much as they had before with the way that things changed.
0: Again, I think that's going to be dependent on a person's personal situation. I don't think there's any... St- any um, overall viewpoint in terms of attorneys versus other professionals. I think everybody is different and you have to analyze your own situation, you know, given your income and your deductions and make a determination as to, you know, again, with professional advice, what the best approach is for you.
1: Okay. At the start of the show, you mentioned coming up with a budget. For a new attorney, do you have any like basic advice on what a good budget is? And I'm curious if there's any good apps out there, you think, that can help you maybe stick with your budget?
0: Well, I, th- I think one of the things you need to do is is determine what you're spending your money on today in order to properly budget for the future. So it's really mm-hmm. just a, a question of going through what you've spent, let's say take a sample, you know, the last three months based on, you know, your rent and your your uh, other expenses and see where you are. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, then it's a question of going through those expenses and finding ways to save money on, on any expense that you can, uh, whether, you know, typically you have f- fixed expenses that you can't, com- you know, that are fixed and you can not make changes to, but it's the variable type expenses. And what I've done in the past is I use, you know, a simple program like Quicken, where I track all of my expenses on a monthly basis, both through my credit cards, my ATM withdrawals and and all of my expenses. I know it's a meticulous process, but it's definitely worthwhile going through the exercise at least once and determining what you're spending your money on so that you can then forecast whether or not that's, um, you know, uh, an appropriate amount going forward. Obviously, there, you will have changes to that. Um, there's going to be, you know, raises and bonuses and other things that will, you know, will supplement your income. Um, and you'll also have expenditures that you might also uh, have, or you may be saving for a particular need or goal, whether it be uh, for your children or for a home for education, whatever the case may be, you need to factor those in as well.
1: And I was going to ask you about that because it seems like oftentimes you hear as advice as if you want to look at your budget, write down everything you spend for a month, and I always wonder if that was kind of excessive, but it sounds like that's what you're suggesting, right, is try it so you can really get a good picture. Absolutely. Do you mind sharing with me when you did that? Were there things that surprised you, or what happened when you did it? What happened?
0: I think the biggest surprises you find are are the discretionary expenses. You know, whether it be the you know the breakfast that you have every morning that you spend five dollars on, and you realize that you know it, it didn't seem like a lot of money when you spent that, but when you add it up for an entire year. 240 working days in a year, you're spending $1,200 for coffee in the morning. Mm. So wow. That's when you realize that you sh- you can be budgeting or spending less. I wouldn't say eat less, but maybe that's Drink your it.
1: coffee in the office. <laughs> Did you do it for a whole year?
0: I've actually been doing it for a decade. I, I keep meticulous records. Really?
1: You keep track of everything you spend for a decade?
0: I'm wow. an accountant. So it's in my nature. Huh. I'm an accountant. I count everything. That's my middle name.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so I have another question for you. Is there an app with Quicken where you can get to it? If someone wanted to do this and say they wanted to use Quicken or some sort of software or cells, is there an app where you can do it on your phone?
0: I'm pretty sure there are apps. I don't know of any offhand, but I know that there are definitely apps that you can you can find where you can incorporate all of your expenses, especially if you're tracking your expenses for for business reimbursement.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I wanted to ask you about things you can do to plan for retirement if maybe you're getting closer to your 50s and your planning hasn't been so great. We'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept
0: online payments get paid 39% 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods. With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com podcast to sign up and get your first three months free.
1: And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Warren and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered I'm speaking with Gary Duboff a Manhattan CPA who works with high net worth individuals on personal finance matters. So Gary I wanted to ask you about retirement savings and I'm I'm interested in your advice for people who are getting in their 50s or maybe a little older and they haven't been great for saving for their retirement? Is it too late to do anything about it? Or is there, is there still, you know, in the next 10 or 20 years, they can make some real strides with their retirement savings? What do you think?
0: Well, Stephanie, I don't think it's ever too late to start saving for retirement. You know, with the uh, limits on IRAs and 401ks, you know, which are pretty significant, uh, you can, in a very short time, you could put away a lot of money. Um, and obviously with the you know with the stock market uh, invested properly those monies could you know put together a nice nest egg for retirement um it, you know it may be a case however where you're at a, a situation where you're living beyond your means and you don't have the ability to put away for retirement so in those situations you have to take advantage of everything that you can so one of the first things I recommend to most of my clients is to make sure they understand what their their benefits are at their company. So if if they're working for a big firm or, or they have an employer, I should say, as opposed to being self-employed, they should take advantage of all the benefits that are available to them. That's number one.
1: Would that be like uh, the 401k? What type of benefits are you talking about?
0: Well, I mean, there's obviously medical benefits that they want to take advantage mm-hmm. of whether they have an HSA or flexible spending account so that they can you know, minimize their tax cost on their medical and health care needs, that's, that's an important consideration. It may not seem like a lot, and many people don't take advantage of those, so it's, it's something that I think that if you do on an ongoing basis and understand what those rules are, there's going to be tax savings available to you that over time will, will inure to your pocketbook. And then, you know, with regard to the, you know, the 401k and the match that an employer may be providing, you want to take advantage of all those matches uh, because that's essentially free money and nobody wants to turn down free money. And, you know, depending on the the employer. You know, they may allow you to make – obviously, you, you want to take advantage of all the contributions that you can and maximize your own personal contribution as well as any employer matches that may be available to you.
1: You mentioned maybe you could invest some of your money in the market. Is this a good time, do you think, to do that? I mean, you know, you hear stories that if you can come up with, twin, like, say, $10,000, you might be able to turn that around to forty and the next two years or so. is this? But on the other hand, it's, I guess it's a risk. Do you have thoughts on whether or not it's a good time to invest in the market now if you don't have a lot of retirement and want to make it grow quick?
0: Well, I, I think that you need to be careful. Um, first of all, you should have an, uh, an investment professional that should assist you in making those investment decisions. Mm. That's, I think, important. Um, if you're investing your money through an employer plan, you know, you shouldn't be sitting in cash. You should always have most of your money invested in, in the market in, in some way, shape or form, because if you don't participate in the market, you're never gonna see the the growth. And I don't I'm not a market timer, so I'm not necessarily concerned about where the market is today. If I'm if I'm concerned that the, the market is at a high and it's maybe perhaps a little overheated then maybe I wouldn't put all my money in at one time. I would do what we call dollar cost averaging, and I would put in my money in in, uh, in smaller bites. So if I had ten thousand dollars, I might want to put in two thousand this month, two thousand next month, uh, which is typically what you're doing when you're investing in your IRA or your 401k. You're putting it on on a paycheck by paycheck basis. So you're not putting all your money in at one time and risking any market fluctuations one way or another.
1: And do you think it might be a good idea, if you can, in addition to your 401k, to start your own investment account with a professional so you have something separate, so you have two investment accounts going?
0: Yes, you you can maximize your 401k contribution and you can also um, participate in a IRA. Of course, the IRA may or may not be deductible depending on your other tax situation. For example, if you're participating in an employer 401k, you won't be able to make a deductible IRA, but you could do a non-deductible IRA. And depending on the level of your income, you could do a Roth IRA. I
1: see. And do you have any advice? I think sometimes if an investment seems too good to be true, it probably is. What's a good way to avoid a a scam with investments or trends that don't pan out
0: a professionals advice is uh, important and in seeking a investment professional you want to make sure that the the professional is a legitimate you know investment professional that's not um, working for themselves perhaps maybe working for a larger institution and there is a way to, to investigate any investment professional if they're licensed they should their license should be on record so you can look up on uh, on the uh, FINRA website as to whether or not they have any blemishes on their record.
1: Do you feel like people are smarter now? It seems like we've seen so many high-profile stories about people who have high net worth investing and really just getting taken advantage of by folks who, you know, like the Bernie Madoffs of the world. Are people being smarter about that now, do you think, than they were maybe a decade ago?
0: Absolutely. I did have clients that were... Or did participate in made Madoff um, investments and lost money, most of which was recovered over time. However, you know, they really should be more careful in vetting these investment opportunities. Um, you know, oftentimes when you're a high net worth individual, you're not just investing in the stock market, you're investing in, in private investments and private placements. And it's a In order to do that, you need to be a qualified or an accredited investor, so you have to have the net worth and the wherewithal and the experience in order to make those types of investments, and and it's really not something that uh, someone who's not familiar with those should be making themselves.
1: If you're a high net worth individual, I would imagine that people come to you for investments a fair amount who, you know, people who say they're an entrepreneur and they want to, they have this new product or they want to, you know, get backing for a restaurant or a business. Is that something where if you're going to invest in something like that, you should probably not plan on getting it? If You should be okay if you don't get it back. Because it seems risky to me.
0: I think any speculative investment, you want to uh, take the position that you're never going to see your money. You mm. know, otherwise, if you can't afford it, you shouldn't be doing it.
1: Okay. What about real estate? Is that a good investment right now? Do you think?
0: I'm not in a position to make recommendations, but I, I think that real estate is, um, you know, a you know, it's everywhere, so it's kind of hard to avoid real estate as an mm-hmm. investment and mm-hmm. if you're investing in in various asset classes whether it be stocks or bonds to have real estate or alternative investments in your investment portfolio overall is a is a good thing from a correlation perspective so you know in certain Cases when the stock market goes up, real estate potentially goes down. That's what correlation means. Uh, they're, they're not correlated asset classes. So when the stock market goes down, potentially real estate could go up. So it's a it's a nice um, diversification tool to use real estate in your portfolio. <laughs>
1: And what you just said, I would imagine, especially for high net worth people who have that ability, it's always good to have that diversity in your portfolio, right? Because like as you said, when one goes down, the other one will go up. So you have a safety net, so to speak.
0: I think it's a safer approach than having all of your eggs in one basket.
1: Uh, Gary, I think that's everything that I wanted to ask you today. Would you like to add anything else?
0: I would say that lawyers are an interesting class of, of people in terms of their needs. You know, they're smart people and they oftentimes think that they understand everything because that's the way they were trained. And I think it's important to note that if if they are looking to improve their financial situation, they need to take advice from other professionals, not just Giving advice, so I think it's important that they heed the advice of other professionals as well as their peers.
1: Well, it's, sometimes it's hard for lawyers to take advice. I think at least that's been my experience over the years.
0: Well, hopefully, we'll, we'll have changed their mind by then. <laughs>
1: yes, <they come> <laughs> and I guess you know you can tell yourself, "Why would my accountant be giving me this advice if it wasn't good? What's in it for him or her?" <laughs>
0: We have no hidden agenda. We're just trying to help everyone.
1: Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And also, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find and rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journals Asked and Answered.